Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You got that rocker, MJ in the house, otherwise known as Marty Janetti. You know how we do rocking and rolling, starting and strolling, and we're doing it right here on the Rundown Wrestling Network. Keep on rocking. Yeah. <laughs> This is the show where we take a look back at Vince McMahon's annual Thanksgiving tradition, Survivor Series. This episode, we're going to go back to 1995. Oh, 1995. Not necessarily a good year for the World Wrestling Federation. After the trial of his life, plus... All the PR damage from the steroid scandal and the ring boy scandal. Let's not forget about that. Plus the parade of superstars leaving the company. The WWF was struggling to sell tickets and make profit. It also didn't help that two months prior to this show, WCW Monday Nitro debuted on TNT and had already shocked the wrestling world by having Lex Luger appear on its first episode, despite Luger being with the WWF for the past three years. Now, Survivor Series 1995 took place on November 19th at the U.S. Air Arena in Landover, Maryland. This marked the first Survivor Series to take place on a Sunday night. That's disappointing. I always liked the Thanksgiving Eve concept, but it probably wasn't that great of a day to sell your pay-per-views on. The attendance listed for this show was 14500 and to be honest, you should probably thank Bret Hart for that. Uh, after all, Bret Hart was the constant at this point in the WWF, and still wildly popular despite not being champion this year, although that might change tonight. Now, the the tagline listed and posted on the VHS copy was, Teams of Federation Superstars Battle It Out. Who's Fit to Survive? What a convoluted, clunky tagline. Ick. 
So let's get to it. We begin the night with a cold open. It's the entranceway. We see the crowd. And Howard Finkel welcomes Mr. Perfect. Perfect is dressed in a very fancy tuxedo with his name bedazzled on the back. Really loud reception for Mr. Perfect. This was his first time back in about a year. And he was here tonight to be the color commentator while Vince McMahon and Jim Ross argued over play-by-play duties. Can't wait for this. After Perfect is done getting his adulation and finally sits at the commentary desk, then we go to a Survivor Series opening video, which hypes the WWF title match. No disqualification, no countout. There must be a winner. Champion Big Daddy Cool Diesel against Brett the Hitman Hart. I mean, one thing I want to mention here is that the video package is then preceded by a Survivor Series graphic that tells us that Milton Bradley and Karate Fighters present the 1995 Survivor Series. Now, the logo, the classic Survivor Series logo, is plastered on a backdrop of the United States Capitol Building. You know, the one located on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. I mean, (sighs) this arena is not located in D.C., despite what Vince McMahon would have you think. But rather a suburb east of D.C. called, as we discussed, Landover, Maryland. Granted, it is only 10 miles outside the city limits. Um, but it just feels weird that we're technically in another state. And he's like, yeah, D.C., woo! We begin with the rundown's favorite. WWE superstar to appear on the rundown sit down. It's that rocker in the house, Marty Jannetty. Match number one, the underdogs, Marty Jannetty, Hakushi, Bob Sparkplug Holly, and Barry Horwitz versus the Body Donnas. Skip. Rad Radford, Dr. Tom Pritchard, and the 123 Kid. So, just from this opening contest, there's a couple things we gotta go over. Jimmy Del Rey, the heavenly body partner of Dr. Tom Pritchard, had his last match with Dr. Tom in April of 1995. He left, Pritchard stayed. Uh, Dr. Tom kept his heavenly body persona for most of 95, but only wrestled a handful of shows while also spending the summer competing in Smoky Mountain. Now, ironically, a month after this Survivor Series match, Skip and Sonny would introduce 
Skip's cousin, Zip. Um, Zip, of course, being Dr. Tom Pritchard, who was at this point, when we get there in December of 95, unrecognizable from where he is tonight. Because when he was Zip, he cut his hair into a crew cut. He dyed it blonde. He got super tanned. And he dressed like a buffoon, much like Skip. So probably for the first time and only time ever, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard is teaming with Skip, but as Dr. Tom Pritchard's. It's a little weird. Also, when the heels come out, Sonny has a mic, and she introduces Skip, Rad Radford, and Dr. Tom, but then hands the mic to the Fink to introduce the fourth member. The fourth member, who apparently is like some type of mystery, was accompanied by Ted DiBiase, and he is the newest member of the Million Dollar Corporation. He is the 123 Kid. That's right, folks, the 123 Kid who recently turned heel, and by recently I mean six days prior on Monday Night Raw, where the kid was the special guest referee for a match between Sid and Razor Ramon. During the match, Razor got set up for the Razor's Edge, but Kid pulled Sid down. This allowed Sid to get the upper hand and powerbomb Razor. One, two, three, fast count. And the one, two, three kid joins the Million Dollar Corporation. Sorry about the exposition, but I was confused, so I had to look it up. On to the match. But first, we get the unexpected arrival of Razor Ramon. He's not booked in this match. Mind you, this is all while DiBiase's music still plays. And Razor charges the ring. But a ton of refs stop him and force him to leave. Razor's going to get his hands on the one, two, three kid. You can guarantee it. My first note, by the way. I am shocked that Rad Radford had a match on pay-per-view. I didn't know that was a thing. Also, when he came out, I thought he was Johnny Grunge. Wrong dead ECW guy. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. It's the truth. Our first elimination comes when Dr. Tom goes for a moonsault off the top rope, but misses wildly. Uh, Bob Sparkplug Holly follows up with an even shittier flying crossbody, and it's enough to pin Dr. Tom. Bye-bye, heavenly body. See you next month with the new gimmick. Skip immediately runs in and schoolboys Holly for a three count. Uh, despite Bob Holly's shoulder clearly being up. Eh, no one cares about Sparky Plug anyway. Hakushi puts on an amazing show of offense. Honestly, I forgot how good that dude was. But unfortunately, he gets eliminated when 123 Kid kicks Hakushi in the back of the head, and Rad Radford pins him by pulling the trunks. Boo. Speaking of Rad Radford, he gets caught in one of Barry Horowitz's convoluted pinning combinations, and he gets eliminated. It's like it, it was like a mouse trap, like you know Orange Cassidy's mouse trap, but somehow shittier. 
The one, two, three kid then eliminates Barry Horowitz after catching him with a spinning heel kick. And we have ourselves a good old fashioned two on one. Insert your page jokes here. Marty paces in the ring while Kid and Skip determine who will face him. And we actually get a pretty loud Marty chant. How about that? Marty goes to the top, but Sonny shakes the rope, so Marty gets crotched. Skip meets him up top in a tense of superplex, but Marty blocks it. Marty then powerbombs Skip off the top rope. Holy shit. Now, I am familiar that Candido, the man playing Skip tonight, will use a very similar move going forward in his career, specifically in ECW. Um, But in 1995 in the WWF, this wasn't something you saw ever. Marty Pinskip, and we are down to former tag team partners and former tag team champions, the 1-2-3 Kid versus Marty Jannetty. I know this sounds kind of weird, but Kid kicks the shit out of Jannetty. And to be fair, Jannetty sells his ass off for the Kid. Jannetty starts a comeback, but enter Psycho Sid. Sid makes his way to ringside and just glares at Marty. Jannetty nails the rocker dropper, but Kid gets his foot in the rope. DiBiase distracts the ref, and Sid snaps Marty's neck across the top rope. The one, two, three Kid covers off of this. There was no other move done. And your winner and sole survivor, the one, two, three Kid. Really putting that heel turn over. Kid jumps into Sid's arms and Sid hoists them up like a child. Sid and Kid gloat into the camera and we see Razor backstage flipping out and tossing monitors across the backstage area. Speaking of backstage, let's go backstage to Fraud Penningale. He is with Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Jim Cornette, Mr. Fuji. And, uh, and one of these things is not like the other. Dean Douglas! Todd asked Cornette what Razor's outburst means in the wild card match tonight, where Razor will apparently team with Yokozuna, Owen Hart, and Dean Douglas. Cornette says Razor looks real tough beating up a TV, but he better get his mind right. Even if Razor looks ready for a rubber room at the Puzzle Factory, he needs to figure out where his priorities lie. And he needs to get focused on his match. Cornette finishes with, you know what they say, if we can't get along, we're going to get it on. Sexy. As annoying as Jim Cornette was, he did. He always did really well when it came to promos. Never stuttered. Always got his point across. Always got his guys over. I, I respect the dude as a manager. Especially... In the retro um, 90s and 80s and stuff. He was good. He was fucking good. Uh, Owen and Dean Douglas basically say the same thing. That Razor needs to focus. So they'll take him out just like they'll take out their opponents. And we go back to the ring for our next match. 
Match number two, a match that was not advertised, not promoted. It is a women's Survivor Series match, four on four. Two women who are signed to the WWF and six other women from Japan. Not kidding you. That's what they did here. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, the WWF was trying to revitalize their women's division, uh, bringing in Alunder, Alunder Blaze and making her the focal point for all of 1994. And it worked. Alundra was over. People, people liked her. And then you put her against, um, brutal, you know, opponents like, like, uh, Bull Nakano, or in this case, Bertha Faye. And, and it, it was good. It was, it was good. Unfortunately, they only kind of half-assed it, hence why we have six women from another company here tonight. In this match, we will have Bertha Faye teaming with Aja Kong. Hey, I know her. Lioness Asuka. I've heard of her. And Tomoko Watanabe. Mm, that one, not so much. Versus Alunder Blaze. Kyoko Inui, Saki Hasegawa, and Chaparati Asari. Not familiar with the other three on the Lunders team, just know that they're good guys. Here's the thing with the Lunder Blaze, too. They did a lot of stop start booking with her. Um, she would get a storyline. We'd see her featured for a couple months. Then we wouldn't see her. Then we get a new storyline. It was, it was sporadic. Uh, so much so that the end of this year, Alunder Blaze would leave the WWF and sign with WCW. And we all know what Medusa did with the women's title once she got to WCW, but that's another story for another podcast. <laughs> Get ready, because it's time for Survivor Series' favorite segment, Rapid Fire Eliminations. But first, JR puts over the 25-year-old sensation known as Aja Kong. Good call, Jim. I'll give you credit on that one. Uh, Bertha, Bertha Faye screams for everyone, a shut up! And Harvey Whippleman applauds. Uh, the crowd is pretty quiet, but does come alive when Chaparati hits a Sky Twister press off the top rope. Nicely done. Alunder Blaze follows up with a German suplex and bridges into the pin to eliminate Lioness Asuka. We continue back and forth until Aja Kong tags in. Kong eliminates Hasegawa. And then she eliminates Asari. And all of a sudden, it becomes a three-on-two situation. Alundra comes in, and Aja Kong beats the crap out of her. Uh, but luckily, Alundra is able to escape and tag out. Kyoko Inui has a little success, but when she tries a sunset flip, Aja Kong just sits down and eliminates her, too. So now, it's three-on-one, and all three heels enter the ring to attack Alundra. Thankfully, a very young Mike Kyoto gets Bertha and Aja out of the ring. 
and Alundra Blaze then gets her chance to go off. She pile drives Watanabe and eliminates her, and then she ducks a clothesline from Bertha Faye and hits her with a German suplex. Now, granted, it was a pretty awful German suplex because it's Bertha Faye, and as you can imagine, she had a little bit of difficulty getting herself over, more ways than one. But uh, it is a German nonetheless, and Bertha Faye gets eliminated. Wow. So we are down to Aja Kong versus Alunder Blaze. Now, they did talk this up prior to us getting here, as Vince said that Alunder has had quite the rivalry with Aja Kong in Japan. It's not anything they really put on TV here, but I guess we're finding out about it now. Uh, Alunder does fight valiantly, but uh, Aja Kong hits a spinning back fist for the win. After the match, Aja Kong signals that she wants the WWF women's title. And as much as I'm sure that Vince would have signed that match, you know, he didn't really get a chance to, given what uh, Alunder Blaze would do in the next month. So, I mean, it was not a bad women's match. It was just not a... Uh, important women's match. Even the crowd was like, next. Not their fault. Not the women's fault. They all worked hard. Then we go to Todd Pennegale, who is with Bill Clinton's impersonator. I thought they killed this gimmick after WrestleMania 10. We're still doing this? <sighs> Clinton sounds... Uh, Fake Clinton sounds like a fucking moron, but the skit gets less of a reaction than the one at Mania 10. So next, let's go to a singles match at Survivor Series. Match number three, the recently debuted Gold Dust versus Bam Bam Bigelow. As I mentioned, one of these guys just debuted... And the other is an absolute joke since losing to LT at WrestleMania. In fact, Bigelow's post-Mania run as a babyface has, at, to this point, been pretty fucking awful. Now, that being, that being said, I'm still a little bit surprised because Goldust pretty much owns Bigelow in this match. And as ironic as this is to say, especially in 95, Goldust has his way with them. Bigelow gets one or two offensive moves and Goldust immediately cuts him off. This is Bam Bam fucking Bigelow, by the way. Uh, Bigelow gets his final hope spot, but unfortunately it leads to Goldust finishing off Bigelow with a running bulldog. It was eight minutes. Goldust dominated for like six of those minutes, if not seven. Ugh. Like I said, two guys going in completely different directions in this company at this point. Uh, let's go back to the presidential box for some fucking reason, where Mr. Bob Backlund has joined us. He tries to argue with Clinton, but Clinton encourages him to run for president. Oh, so that's how that fucking terrible gimmick started. 
Then we go to a video package of the feud between The Undertaker and King Mabel. Last month on Raw, the rivalry reached a boiling point, and, and Mabel leg-dropped Taker and accidentally broke his face. No one has seen The Undertaker since. But he's here tonight in one of the most unusual four-man teams I've ever seen. Match number four, Jerry the King Lawler, his royal dentist, Isaac Yankum, the Connecticut Blue Blood, Blue Blood Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and King Mabel versus The Undertaker, Savio Vega, Make a Difference Fatu, I'm not fucking kidding, and Henry Godwin. Just looking at this match, and this encapsules the WWF in 1995. 100%. Uh, Vince makes a big deal out of the rumors of what The Undertaker may or may not look like. Oh, I heard he's gruesome! Mm-hmm. Uh, they play it up well enough at first. In fact, they have Savio, Fatu, and Henry Godwin come out together, and then Taker enters by himself, and they purposely keep Taker's face out of sight until the lights come on. When we finally see his face, we see that Taker has gone full Phantom of the Opera. Uh, that's fine. I have no problem with the mask, but... Mm, let me get this straight. You put a mask on him because it's like a protective mask, like, you know, like when someone breaks their nose, kind of like what Seamus is doing these days. But you have the heels react like somebody poured acid on him. Like they're all like grossed out and like freaked out and terrified. And I'm like, dude, it's a fucking white mask. What is wrong with you people? It's also weird to me, by the way, that we went from Make a Difference Fatu to the Sultan and then to Rikishi. You'd kind of figure the natural progression would be from the streets to the dance party, but I guess evil Middle Eastern gimmick was more important to try. Uh, this match, by the way, pretty fucking boring until Undertaker gets tagged in. And then once he gets tagged in, he destroys Jerry Lawler. And every time Lawler reaches for a tag, his teammates are like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> they, like, move away. They're like, nope, I don't want to get in there. Taker hits a tombstone on Lawler, and that's the end for him. And then enter Kane. Oh, sorry. Not Kane yet. Pre-Kane. Isaac Yankum comes in, and he has a little bit better luck. But Yankum is also eliminated by a tombstone. Helmsley is next. He tries. He fails. He also tries to run away, but Henry Godwin blocks his escape. So, another tombstone and another pin by The Undertaker. This is going as, as well as it did for Taker back in 90 of the Survivor Series. He's just fucking rolling through everybody. However, as soon as Triple H is eliminated, Mabel attacks. 
He nails the leg drop that originally broke Taker's face. He goes for a second, and the Undertaker sits up. Mabel is freaked out by this, and he leaves. Like, literally, he fucking leaves. Mabel is counted out, and your winners are the faces. By the way, the faces then beat the shit out of Sermo, who tried to attack after the match. So he deserved it, and Taker and his strange team celebrate in the ring. Sermo! We got a Sermo sighting. He was literally there just get, just to get his ass kicked. Let's go to comments from the challenger tonight, Brett, the hitman heart. Brett confirms that the winner of this match tonight will have to face the Bulldog at the next In Your House pay-per-view. Sure. Brett says he's going to worry about one battle at a time, though. And tonight, he is laser-focused on Diesel. Brett then tells Diesel, tonight, Diesel, the truck stops here. <laughs> Brett made a joke. We then go to comments from the WWF champion. Diesel says for the past year, the World Wrestling Federation has been running on diesel power. And it has been running quite nicely, actually. Yeah, about that. How oh, them ticket sales? Diesel goes on to say it's kind of ironic that we are at the Survivor Series because tonight, Brett, will you be able to survive? Lame. Lame promo. Ugh, babyface Diesel, especially from, like, May of 95 until tonight. Oh, man. it They took away everything that made Diesel popular, and they tried to turn him into Hulk Hogan. And I remember because I was watching everything at this point as a kid. Um, and I didn't know it was bad because I was a fucking stupid kid. And I was like, yeah, Diesel, yay. But I knew that it, it wasn't working. That much I knew. Because we would get the same Diesel versus Sid match over and over and over. We'd get Diesel versus people from the corporation. We'd get Diesel versus Mabel. Like, who gives a fuck? At least tonight, Diesel's going against Bret Hart. Probably the best match in his entire title reign was tonight. Um... You know, his Michaels match at WrestleMania 11 notwithstanding. But, nevertheless. So from there, let's go to two wrestlers with their managers. Frog Penningale is with Sid and Ted DiBiase. And also, Bulldog and Jim Cornette. Frog says, next up is the wild card match. Cornette lies and says he's on the Bulldog side tonight. And he's as honest as the day is long. DiBiase interrupts him and says he doesn't care whose side he's on as long as his guy, Sid, is on the winning side. Then Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson show up and say you can fight two ways. You can be like the ladies and fight over the heartbreak kid, or you can be like the men and you can fight Ahmed because he's my back door. Word for word, that's what Shawn said. Match number five, 
Gorilla Monsoon's personal touch at this year's Survivor Series, the wild card match. Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Dean Douglas, and Razor Ramon versus Sid, Bulldog, HBK, and Ahmed Johnson. So no matter how many times they said wild card, it seems the only thing different about this match is heels and faces are mixing it up on the same team. That's it. My God, that's so wild. When HBK comes out, he gets the loudest pop of the night thus far. So he's right on track for his boyhood dream in four months. Side note. Yokozuna is announced at 641 pounds. 641 pounds. And he looks every single bit of it. This guy debuted at 505. He was huge. He won the title at 550. And that was fine. He stayed at 550 for a while. But dude, 641? This is crazy. And it's not one of those wrestling things where, like, oh, it's embellishes weight by a hundred or so pounds. No, 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 no. You can tell. You see this guy, and you're like, "Damn, that dude's fucking big." Now I know that Dean Douglas uh, has had a lot to say about his his stint at this point in the WWF in 1995. Uh, including heat with the click, including heat with Vince, and that Vince didn't pay him for certain stuff, and all this fucking jazz. But uh, I didn't know Douglas had an issue with Sid. And the reason I say that is because as the match starts, Douglas has Ahmed Johnson in a chin lock. He's facing the opposing team's corner, and then for no fucking reason, completely unprovoked... He spits at Sid. <laughs> now, I'm gonna I'm being honest, Sid seemed like shoot surprised. And he didn't even get angry immediately. He was kinda like, what the fuck? <laughs> also, it led to nothing, so I'm not sure what that was about, other than like they were saying Douglas is playing mind games, and I'm like, uh, sure. Or he's a piece of shit and no one in the, in the locker room liked him. I mean, that that's an option, too. Razor and Douglas get into a fist fight on the outside. Mind you, they are teammates. Michaels uses this as an opportunity to schoolboy Douglas. And Dean Douglas is eliminated. Good. Back to ECW, you jabroni. By the way, Douglas officially left the World Wrestling Federation on January 1st, 1996, allegedly because Vince forced him to, uh, just six months after he debuted. So definitely not good times for for Douglas in the WWF at this point. He actually had a run back in the early 90s. You know, he was okay, but... um. Yeah, this this whole Dean Douglas character thing, it just, not only was that gimmick kind of shit, but also, like I said, he got into a lot of fights in the back, and nobody really liked him, and he didn't really like them, and yeah, you know, 
I don't know. I don't know uh, who's in the right or who's in the wrong. All I know is that I've never seen anybody, or let me rephrase that, it's rare, it's very rare that I see somebody that got as much TV time as Dean Douglas be so quickly done with the company. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. So after Douglas gets eliminated... Uh, we get all types of eyebrow-raising matchups. Owen squares off with Bulldog for a little bit. Everybody's like, Ooh, my God, what are they going to do? They're tag partners. And then both of them tag out to Razor and Sean, and then everybody gets all crazy because it's Razor and Sean again who just battled it out in their second ladder match earlier in 95. Um, Razor and Sean, they battle for a little bit, and, and neither man really gets an advantage, but then... Razor hits the Razor's Edge. But Ahmed jumps in the ring to break it up. Sean crawls to his corner and blind tags in Sid. How does he blind tag in Sid? Because Sid was looking at the crowd and Sean slapped him on the back. Um, And then Sid goes to work on Razor with some of the worst worked punches and kicks I've ever seen. And that's saying something for, and that's even for Sid, right? Like, so normally his offense is a little bit o- over the top, but tonight it was these huge windups with very little connect on the punch. And then his kicks, I don't know, his kicks look like he was missing them completely. I, maybe Razor's just not selling for him, but his kicks looked awful. And I'm talking about your typical like mud hole stomping or like kick the guy when he's on the on the mat. Like I don't know, Sid did not look good tonight. Sid eventually hits Razor with a one-handed choke slam. He then tags in Shawn Michaels, and then he picks up Razor so Shawn can hit him with the super kick. However, as is tradition at the Survivor Series, because this is exactly what happened last year, Razor ducks. Sean kicks Sid, and Razor covers Sid, and Sid is eliminated. (gasps) Granted, Michael seems noticeably less upset about this than he was last year. (laughs) That's okay, Sean. Sid will get his receipt when he caves in your mentor's chest next year with a TV camera and takes your WWF title. But that's next year. Uh, As far as this year goes... Sid lets HBK off easy. Yep, nice and easy with a power bomb in the middle of the ring. <laughs> this allows Yokozuna to just kick the crap out of Michaels for the next ten minutes. Yoko has the uh, advantage, and and Michaels is so dead that at any point Yoko could pin him. I want to I want to mention that. That Michaels is like drooling on himself. He can't even like stand up. And Yoko's just kicking the shit out of him. So it's completely believable and it makes perfect sense for Yoko to just get bored and tag out to Owen, right? Okay. (laughs) And why did he tag out to Owen? So Owen could fly off the top rope with a diving headbutt and Michaels can move so Owen can hit his face on the map. Michaels tags out to Ahmed Johnson, and here comes the House of Fire. Ahmed nails the Pearl River plunge on Owen, 
and Owen Hart has been eliminated. Razor comes in, and he does what Ahmed just did, which is clean house. Ahmed gets razor edged, but then Bulldog breaks it up, which is fucking weird because Bulldog and Ahmed are on the same team. It's at this point that Ted DiBiase, Psycho Sid, and the one, two, three kid make their way back down to the ring. By the way, I'm, I apologize. I said that it's weird that Bulldog breaks up the pin because Razor just hit Ahmed Johnson with the Razor's Edge. That was incorrect. That part's not weird. We're going to get to the part that's weird in just a minute. That part made sense because Bulldog and Ahmed are on the same team. But anyway, DiBiase, Sid, Kid, they make their way down the ring. Kid trips Razor coming off the ropes. Razor turns and yells at him. So Kid jumps on the apron and Razor punches him in the mouth. The distraction, however, allows Bulldog to lift up Razor and hit the running power slam. And Razor Ramon has been eliminated. So we are down to three on one. Bulldog, Ahmed, Michaels versus 640 pounds of Yokozuna. Speaking of Yoko, he then proceeds to give Michaels a beating and a half. Yoko goes to finish off Michaels with the Bunzai drop, but Sean escapes and tags in Ahmed. And then Ahmed Johnson actually slams Yokozuna. I mean, kind of. I mean, he got him off the ground, so it counts. More like a hip toss. But anyway. He covers Yoko, but Bulldog jumps in the ring and breaks it up. That's the one I was talking about. Ahmed covers Yoko, and Bulldog breaks that up, which makes no fucking sense, because all three guys, Ahmed, Bulldog, and Michaels, would have won. If, if Ahmed made the cover, but I guess Bulldog didn't want Ahmed to go down as the guy who got the final pinfall. Uh, that being said, Sean and Ahmed get in Davy's face. Michaels and Ahmed punch Davy in the face and then clothesline him over the top rope. Michaels turns and super kicks Yoko down. Yes. You read that correctly. One super kick, and the mighty Yokozuna is down. And then Ahmed comes off the ropes and hits a big splash to pin Yokozuna. So Ahmed gets the pin anyway, so I don't fucking know. Um, after the match, Cornette lifts Bulldog's hand, and those two celebrate like they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Decent heel stuff, and I will admit, HBK and Ahmed just giving them a dirty look, but mostly ignoring them was was classic. As is typical Survivor Series format, the two biggest baby faces that they're going to be pushing stand tall and are the victors on this evening. After this, let's go back to the presidential box again. This time, Sunny has joined us, and she is sitting on Faye Clinton's lap. Mind you, this was before all the scandals came out. This was the end of 95. So, uh, WWF doing a good job, um, predicting real life, as it were. Sonny flirts with Clint, who dumps popcorn down her shirt. It's as gross as it sounds. 
We then go to another video package for Diesel versus Brett. This one focuses on the question, who really is the best? Is it the Hitman or is it Big Daddy Cool? Main event time. No DQ, no count out, no time limit for the WWF Championship. Brett the Hitman Hart versus Diesel. Enter the challenger, who for the record gets a huge pop that was equal to Shawn Michaels. And then Diesel comes out and Diesel gets the fourth biggest pop of the night. Uh, HBK and Bret Hart are tied at number one. And then Mr. Perfect comes in at number three because it was slightly better than Diesel's. You could argue that was because it was the first pop of the night because that's how we open the show. But still, I have to call it the way it is. Perfect all louder pop than the WWF champion. Diesel starts the match by turking, taking off the turnbuckle pad. I mean, fuck, it is no DQ. Brett then goes to the opposite corner and he does the same thing. That's one way to start a match. Brett then tries to drop Diesel with a single leg takedown, but Diesel outpowers him. They brawl to the outside, but anything goes, so there's not a damn thing Earl can do about it. Diesel throws Brett throat first across the steel barricade. Brett continues, I'm sorry, Diesel continues to punish Brett, Brett in the early goings. Brett. I went all New Zealand there. And at one point, punches Brett so hard that Brett just tumbles to the outside of the ring. Diesel then grabs Mark Eaton by his collar and fucking beals him out of his chair. He then grabs said chair and wails Brett across the spine. Back in the ring, and Diesel goes for the jackknife, but Brett holds on to Diesel's leg and blocks it. Brett desperately tries to escape Diesel's grip and bites his arm to do so. Whoa. It's unheard of for 1995 and for Bret Hart. Just throwing it out there. Brett then bites Diesel's forehead and then starts to go to work on Diesel's knee. Brett locks Diesel in the figure four in the center of the ring, but the seven-footer is able to make it to the ropes. However, Brett refuses to break, and they point out there's not really anything Earl can do about it. Finally, Brett does, but only so he can continue to assault Diesel's knee. Diesel kicks Brett off of him, and Brett goes flying backwards and hits the back of his head on the exposed turnbuckle. Uh-oh. Diesel then tries to charge in, but Brett slips out, grabs Diesel's legs, and pulls him crotch first into the ring post. Brett then grabs a ring cable and ties Diesel's ankle with it. The ring cable is attached to something underneath the ring, so Diesel can't go anywhere. He's literally stuck in that corner. This allows Brett to grab a chair. Brett goes to hit Diesel in the face, but Diesel boots him down. Unfortunately, Diesel's ankle is still tied to the cord. Brett is relentless and attacks Diesel with the chair. Brett tries to go up top with the chair, but Diesel hits the ropes, and Bret Hart crotches himself on the top turnbuckle. Diesel then beals him off the top rope and down into the center of the ring. This allows Diesel to finally untie his fucking ankle, and then he whips Brett's sternum first into said exposed turnbuckle. 
Diesel then goes for snake eyes on the exposed buckle, but Brett reverses and shoves Diesel face first into said buckle. Brett hits a bulldog from the second rope, and this gets a two count. Brett hits the side Russian leg sweep, and this gets another two count. Diesel takes a powder, and Brett tries a corkscrew plancha, but uh, Diesel moves, so Brett lands face first on the floor. Diesel gets back in the ring and tries to get his wits back about him. He limps to his feet, and as he does, you can see that Brett gets back up on the apron. Diesel charges him and shoves him off the apron, and Brett goes flying through the Spanish announce table. Holy shit. In an era where they didn't really do that yet. And mind you folks, this isn't like the same commentator's table they use now. This was like your old school NWA fucking 1984 wooden table. <laughs> um, and the fucking thing exploded. It was, it was a great spot. <laughs> Uh, Diesel picks up Brett from the wreckage and tosses him back in the ring. And he calls for the jackknife. He goes to lift Brett into position, but Brett's body just gives out. He just collapses. And Diesel kind of looks around like, what? What the fuck am I supposed to do? What, what, what am I doing? I don't know. Should I, should I just try to pick him up again? Uh, this fucking guy can't even stay up for my finish. So he goes to lift Diesel up again. And lo and behold, Brett's been playing possum, and he locks Diesel in a small package and gets the three count and wins the WWF title. Holy shit, Bret Hart is champ once again, although you'd never know it because as soon as that bell ring, Diesel set up, clearly yells, motherfucker, and then beats the ever-loving shit out of Bret Hart. Earl tries to get in the way. He tosses Earl halfway across the ring. Diesel then jackknifes Bret Hart, and a bunch of referees come down, and Diesel knocks them all out. So he jackknifes Bret Hart again. Earl tries to hand Bret the belt, even though he's knocked unconscious. Diesel grabs the belt from Earl, throws Earl down again, and then throws Brett the belt. Diesel pulls his straps down and lifts his arms up in the air, and he slowly leaves. We close the show with officials tending to your new World Wrestling Federation champion, as Vince says that Diesel blew a gasket. I bet he's been waiting all week to say that. This is the closing image we get, and we go off the air. Oh, 1995. What was this? This, I'll tell you what this was. This was a one-match show. This was a very entertaining title match where those two guys beat the shit out of each other. But everything else... Just felt like we were going through the motions. Honestly, I'll give them a little bit of credit. The wild card match brought a little bit of excitement, but probably because you had your top stars in the company at that time all in this match. You had Razor, you had Sean, you had Ahmed, and then on the other side you had Yoko, you had uh, Owen, you had Bulldog. 
uh, Sid was around. Like, yeah, you had, like, you know, you had a decent amount of people here. Um, so that match was okay, but, like, everything else was like, oh, is this over yet? <laughs> and it, uh, I never watched this show originally. I remember as a kid, because I we used to watch everything, me and my cousins. And, like, I remember watching WrestleMania with Lawrence Taylor. I remember watching SummerSlam. Hell, I even remember watching King of the Ring. But for, for Survivor Series, I remember being like, nah. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> uh, match of the night is very obvious. It is uh, Brett versus Diesel. If you get a chance, check it out. It was pretty good. And it definitely laid seeds for Brett's heel character, I'll tell you that. Uh, worst match of the night, and this is 100% not their fault. But it was the women's match. There was no heat. The crowd was dead. Alundra lost, and nobody knew who Aja Kong was at this point. <laughs> but uh, that being said, I had a lot of fun doing this. Thank you guys so much as we continue to churn out episodes here. Already up to 95, which means... We are two episodes away from the Montreal Screwjob and a very special guest who will appear on that episode. But I will tell you who that guest is next time. So for now, listen if you can, but survive if I let you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have been listening to a Rundown Wrestling Network production. Please visit rundownwrestling.com for all of our shows, as well as our other special events. Keep it locked there, or subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Network on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Premium, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Leave us a voice message that we will play on an episode by going to anchor.fm slash rundownwrestling slash message. Join our Patreon 
at patreon.com slash rundownwrestling. You can show us how much you love us by buying us a cup of coffee for just one buck at ko-fi.com slash rundownwrestling. Go to reddit.com slash r slash rundownwrestling. Follow us on Twitter at Rundown Network. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rundownwrestling. Email the show your dick pics and twat shots via rundownwrestling at gmail.com. Or go to Instagram or YouTube and look for Rundown Wrestling. Follow us on Twitch by going to twitch.tv slash rundownwrestling. And you can also follow our host Adam on twitch.tv slash the saleser effect. This has been a Rundown Wrestling Network production.